Welcome to Asian Centuries. For regular updates and bonus material, subscribe for our newsletter at asiancenturiespod.substack.com or you can listen on your favorite podcast app or find episodes on YouTube. Just search Asian Centuries Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. We declared war on America and Britain out of our sincere desire to ensure Japan's self-preservation and the stabilization of East Asia. It far being from our fault, either to infringe upon the sovereignty of other nations or to embark upon territorial aggrandizement. But now the war has lasted for nearly four years. Despite the best that has been done by everyone, the gallant fighting of the military and naval forces, the diligence and the swiftity of our servants of the state and the devoted service of our 100 million people, the war situation has developed not necessarily to Japan's advantage, while the general trends of the world have all turned against her interest. That, of course, was the speech by Japanese Emperor Hirohito on the 15th of August 1945 announcing Japan's surrender and the end of the Second World War. But why did it take Japan so long to surrender? According to many historians, the Axis powers really had no way of winning after 1943. The Nazi war effort was decimated after the Battle of Stalingrad came to a crushing defeat in February 1943. The Allies had invaded Sicily in July that year and then the Italian mainland two months later. The Japanese launched their surprise attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941 and had gone on to rout European colonies across Asia, but its war effort was failing after 1943. After Berlin was surrounded and Hitler took his own life, Nazi Germany surrendered unconditionally in May 1945. Benito Mussolini, the Italian fascist leader, had been ousted and put in charge of a small, Nazi-dominated puppet state. But in April 1945, when he was attempting to flee to Switzerland with his mistress, he was captured by communist partisans, executed, and his body was strung up by the hills outside a petrol station in Milan. But Japan fought on. So, on the 26th of July, 1945, the Allies met in Potsdam, in Germany, where the United Kingdom, the United States, and China called for Japan to surrender unconditionally or meet prompt and utter destruction. Communique was not signed by the Soviet Union, however, which at the time still had a neutrality pact with Japan. In Tokyo, some thought they could get a better deal by going through Moscow, hoping the Soviets might mediate a more conditional surrender on better terms. Others in Japan's war cabinet wanted to fight on until the bitter end, regardless of the consequences. With a Gotodemarong spirit, War Minister Kuri Chiika Anami famously said that Japan's entire destruction would be better than surrender. Would it, he pondered, not be wondrous for this whole nation to be destroyed like a beautiful flower? But the Allied threat of prompt and utter destruction produced no real outcome. So, on August 6, 1945, the US dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Three days later, another was dropped in Nagasaki. The same day, the Soviet Union declared war on Japan. The die was cast. The Japanese government, on August 10th, communicated its intention to surrender under the terms of the Potsdam Declaration. That wasn't announced to the Japanese public until August the 15th. Even then, there were attempts to fight on. Members of the war ministry launched an ill-fated coup attempt against the emperor on the night of August the 14th. Japan's surrender would be formally signed on the 2nd of September 1945. The events of August 1945 are timely. The Christopher Nolan directed film about Robert Oppenheimer, who led the atomic bomb developments in Los Alamos, was the blockbuster hit this summer. The film sparked a renewal of debates about why the two atomic bombs were dropped. Was it to finish off a war early, sparing hundreds of thousands of lives? Or was it merely meant to impress upon the Soviet Union the power of the United States? The leaders of Japan and South Korea visited the United States last week for an historic trilateral meeting, a sign of a closeness between America and Japan today but also a possible rapprochement between Japan and South Korea. Here are Japan's 35-year colonization of the Korean Peninsula before and during the Second World War remains a sore that still drives a wedge between the two neighbors. 
To talk about the events of August 1945, I'm joined by Barrett Tillman, an authority on air warfare in the Second World War and the author of more than 40 non-fiction and fiction books on military topics. His latest is When the Shooting Stopped, August 1945. It's a fantastic read that explores the characters and decisions behind Japan's eventual surrender that month and the events that took place afterwards. In this episode, we discuss why it took Japan so long to surrender, what might have happened had it surrendered earlier, the dropping of the two atomic bombs, and a potential third on Japan, the Soviet Union's invasion of Manchuria, Operation Downfall, the planned Allied invasion of Japan, and what happened after Japan surrendered. Barrett, thanks for coming on the show. Let's kick off with the obvious question. Why did it take Japan so long to surrender? Nazi Germany had surrendered in May. Fascist Italy had collapsed. The Axis was done for. From the outside, it must have been apparent that Japan's battle was lost. The difference between uh, Japan and Germany, especially as far as uh, the decisions to surrender, is found in the distinct differences between the rulers in Nazi Germany and the ruling clique in Japan. Of course, uh, Adolf Hitler was a, uh, a dictator, and therefore, once he was dead, whatever the remaining military capabilities were of the Third Reich, uh, there, there was almost no incentive to continue uh, fighting. And that, therefore, the, uh, the European war ended in early May 1945. In Japan, essentially six men uh, were in charge. The uh, Supreme War Council was composed largely of current and former uh, Japanese admirals and generals. It included the active chiefs of the Japanese army and the Navy, uh, the uh, foreign minister, uh, the interior minister, and uh, a couple of others because they were so heavily um, populated with current and former military leaders, the Bushido uh, mindset prevailed. And from probably June or so of 1945, the, uh, the council was evenly divided three and three between those who favored an accommodation with the Allies, especially in regard to the uh, Potsdam Declaration requiring uh, unconditional surrender, and those who wanted to fight to the very end. And if you look at the uh, Strategic Bombing Survey interviews, which I accessed for uh, August 1945, you'll find that the most frequent uh, statement among the holdouts was that forcing the Allies into an invasion of the Japanese home islands would be so costly that the uh, the United States, Britain, and its uh, allies would uh, agree to a settlement rather than an uh, invasion. And therefore, it required the unprecedented uh, move by Emperor Hirohito to intervene personally and override those who were uh, in favor of continuing the war. The U.S. drops the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August the 6th and 9th. How important were they for forcing Japan to surrender? 
there's still uh, controversy about the effect of the atom bombs, but from a historiography viewpoint, that is the study of history, I realized in researching the book, August 1945, that for about 30 years, the debate had been conducted in an information vacuum. And only in the early to mid-1970s were the uh, uh, State Department and uh, U.S. military uh, uh, decrypts, the, the code breaking, fully released. And therefore, it became apparent finally that uh, President uh, Harry Truman and the Joint Chiefs of Staff were reading Tokyo's mail. And they knew that uh, while the uh, third party negotiations were going on, uh, primarily via uh, Switzerland, that uh, Tokyo was also in touch with uh, uh, the Stalin regime in Moscow, asking the Soviets to intervene on Japan's behalf for better terms. What was not known in Tokyo, of course, is that by July of 1945, the Soviets' massive invasion of Japanese-held Manchuria was uh, still building up and was about ready to kick off on August 9th, which by coincidence was the same day as the Nagasaki bomb. I remember when I was a university undergraduate having to study the historiographical um, debates on the atomic bomb, where they dropped primarily to finish off the war early and save lives, or as intimidation as a sign to the Soviet Union of American power. Have those debates changed more recently? And, and what's your opinion on those? I've not been following the uh, argument very closely since the book was published last year. But uh, I have a couple of uh, uh, distinguished colleagues, uh, including uh, Richard B. Frank, who's one of the preeminent historians of the Pacific War with his uh, definitive uh, history of the Guadalcanal campaign and his uh, later book called Downfall, which uh, examines the Allied plans for the invasion of Japan, which was to begin in late 1945, and much of the uh, diplomatic uh, uh, background uh, as well. And Rich has said that in his discussions with previous uh, historians such as John Dower, who uh, believed for years and years that the, uh, the bombs were unnecessary, uh, there's been enough retroactive and retrospective examination of the documents to uh, admit to a greater extent than before that the bombs were in fact a crucial factor. And uh, if uh, anyone still believes that the, uh, uh, the bombs were intended to deter uh, the Soviets, uh, it's simply not true because in uh, researching uh, August 1945, when the shooting stopped, I found that uh, the United States continued providing the Soviets with military equipment that would have been useful in invading the northern uh, Japanese islands, which in fact they did in uh, 
August 1945, uh, Japan occupied uh, portions of the Sakhalin Islands, which are the most northern in uh, uh, the Japanese home islands. So the, the fact that the United States continued providing the Russians with the means of occupying Japanese territory simply uh, cuts the legs from under the notion that the bombs were intended to uh, impress uh, Moscow. And the Soviet Union invaded Manchuria on August the 8th. What was, what was Stalin's rationale for this? Um, what impact did it have on Japan? Uh, the, uh, the rationale, as far as I know, was twofold. Number one, the Soviets had massive superiority uh, <clears throat> uh, on the borders of Manchuria, enough to launch a, a three-front uh, attack that uh, steamrolled most of the, uh, the Japanese and the, the small uh, local army, the Manchuoko uh, regime. So Manchuria was a grape ripe for plucking. Secondly, advantages that uh, Manchuria held were considerable. Uh, they included the Yalu River for uh, hydroelectric power. It included uh, timber. It included uh, minerals. So all of that was beneficial to the Soviet Union, which in fact dismantled some of the Manchurian factories and moved them to Russia. So the, uh, the Soviets had every reason to believe that uh, uh, occupying Manchuria was uh, a, a small risk operation. And you mentioned Operation Downfall, the planned allied invasion of Japan. Can you give us a sense of what was what was the actual plan? What would have taken place? Were there any timelines imagined? And and also your opinion, was it a feasible operation? Uh, the short answer is yes, it was feasible. Although the, uh, the Allies recognized that it would have incurred uh, immense cost. Uh, downfall was a two-phase operation. Uh, the first was planned for November of 1945, Operation Olympic, which involved uh, seizing the southernmost uh, of the Japanese home islands, Kyushu. And once that was accomplished, the, uh, the Allies had a, uh, a massive base right next door to uh, Honshu and the other home islands beyond what was already assembled at Okinawa, about 350 miles south of, uh, of Kyushu. Uh, the second phase, Operation Coronet, tentatively was planned for uh, the spring of 1946, uh, most likely uh, sometime in March. And how long that might have taken is still a matter of uh, speculation. But as far as Allied casualties, it's little known that leading up to the uh, uh, launch of Operation Downfall, the U.S. Army, which uh, uh, obtained medals for all the U.S. Armed Services, ordered, I, I think, something over 300,000 Purple Hearts. And that supply lasted up to the uh, Vietnam War before a new batch was minted. So to put 300,000 or 400,000 Purple Hearts in context 
the total American casualties in the Second World War were about 405,000. So essentially, we're looking at the prospects for Japan doubling the number of American casualties in the war. And for downfall, that would be a primarily American-led operation or with British and Commonwealth? And would the Soviet Union have taken part in that as well? No, the, the Soviets were not in a position to uh, participate in uh, Olympic or Coronet because they lacked the, the sea lift and they were not required. Uh, as you properly note, the, uh, the larger scheme of downfall involved uh, British Commonwealth forces, uh, especially the uh, Royal Navy's contribution, the, uh, the uh, British Pacific Fleet, but it also included Australian and uh, uh, New Zealand forces uh, going ashore. So even though uh, Operation Downfall was largely an American uh, uh, operation, it uh, still planned on relying upon some high-quality uh, troops from uh, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. There's a failed coup attempt in Tokyo. What happened um, during this incident? Was it always bound to be a failure, or was there uh, a minute chance that it might have actually been successful? Uh, in my opinion, uh, which basically, basically is formed on... Uh, the uh, uh, groundbreaking work done by the late historian John Toland in the 1970s, the uh, so-called palace coup uh, uh, that night was never going to succeed. It was uh, perpetrated by fairly junior members of the uh, uh, Imperial Guard Regiment, the, the first infantry regiment, which historically had provided security for the uh, uh, the palace and the emperors and, and his family. What happened was that uh, some diehard junior officers learned that Emperor Hirohito had made a recording that day uh, intended for uh, broadcasting the next day, August 15th, announcing the acceptance of the Potsdam Declaration. So the uh, extremely ambitious plotters killed uh, one of the uh, uh, steadfast generals who uh, was uh, uh, the de facto commander of the, uh, uh, the palace guard and issued a written statement, a forgery in his name. And they also attempted to find where the uh, emperor's recording had been stored so that they could destroy it. Uh, once that scheme fell through, the uh, the plotters basically uh, called it quits, although they did try to assassinate some uh, cabinet members elsewhere in Tokyo, and most of the plotters committed suicide before uh, the, uh, uh, the next day. And the emperor's uh, statement on August the 15th was the war situation has developed not necessarily to Japan's advantage, the most famous understatement. When this was made, how did the Japanese people react? Was there an eagerness in society for the war to be over? Was there disbelief that Japan had surrendered? Uh, that's an excellent question, David. And, and the answer is uh, both. The common people were 
by August of 1945, fully aware that uh, Tokyo had been lying to them all along. Uh, they saw the uh, cloud of allied aircraft, uh, especially US Navy and Army Air Forces planes uh, operating with very little uh, resistance over the home islands. Uh, those in metropolitan areas knew that uh, if not the actual percentage, they knew that a very large portion of the uh, nation's urban industrial areas had been uh, burned out. Uh, you mentioned the uh, Tokyo firestorm uh, inflicted by about uh, 320 B-29s on the night of uh, March 9th and 10th, uh, which killed about uh, 85,000 people. Uh, incidentally, th uh, that number was not, as sometimes has been stated, uh, more than uh, were killed by the atomic bombs. But imagine what that looked like and what that smelled like on the morning of March 10th when the emperor drove in his limousine to uh, survey parts of his capital. So despite the immense uh, destruction wrought by uh, American air power in March, it still took uh, five to six months of additional bombing and the two uh, nuclear weapons before the emperor uh, was convinced to intervene. And to consider a, a slight counterfactual, do you, do you think the events of August 1945 would have been different had uh, Roosevelt not passed away a few months earlier? and Winston Churchill had not lost the general election in Britain? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, my uh, answer to both is no. Uh, Roosevelt had uh, set the overall uh, uh, American and therefore allied policy with Churchill of unconditional surrender. And uh, Germany, of course, uh, was required to meet that standard. The uh, one aspect of unconditional surrender that was not enforced in Japan was that the uh, emperor could remain on the throne. However, that was largely window dressing because the uh, terms to which uh, Tokyo agreed specified that the uh, emperor would be uh, subordinate to the overall allied supreme commander, who, of course, became General Douglas MacArthur. And the, the United States did have a third atomic bomb ready to be dropped, I believe, on August the 19th. I mean, first, is there any evidence that Washington and Harry Truman would have decided to drop it um, had Tokyo not surrendered a few days earlier? And and did, did the Japanese know that the Americans had more bombs? No, I, I do not think that uh, uh, Tokyo had any uh, idea of uh, how many atomic bombs we possessed. Although, uh, researching further in uh, the book, August 1945, it became apparent that the Manhattan Project was going to ramp up production of nuclear weapons, some of which might have been used in a tactical role for uh, Operation Downfall in order to isolate the uh, invasion landing areas from Japanese reinforcements. But uh, you're right, uh, August 19th was the approximate date uh, likely to... Uh, uh, see the uh, the third bomb, but remember that uh, President Truman was out of town. He was attending the uh, Potsdam Conference in Germany when uh, 
the uh, uh, decision uh, went down through uh, the chain of command and uh, he issued a directive that the third bomb, what uh, 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 Colonel Paul Tibbets of the uh, B-29 command called the third shot would only be uh, released on Truman's specific say-so, but the first two were already decided upon. So uh, that's a long way around the block to say that uh, uh, I, I see no evidence that the, uh, the bombs would not have been dropped simply because uh, Roosevelt and Truman were no longer uh, in position. So Japan surrenders on August the 15th, but the occupation by the Allies doesn't begin until August the 28th. And, and the fighting doesn't really end with the surrender. There's still skirmishes between Japanese troops and Americans. Can you give a few examples? And, and why were Japanese soldiers prepared to fight on? The, uh, the combat uh, that occurred between August 15th and uh, uh, later that month was fairly widespread. A little bit of it occurred in the Philippines where uh, holdout uh, Japanese uh, survivors uh, refused to surrender. Uh, there was also uh, skirmishing in some places, uh, more than skirmishes on the Asian mainland, but primarily that involved radical Japanese commanders in China who uh, were reluctant to uh, to comply with the surrender. And toward that end, it's not widely realized that Emperor Hirohito issued a separate rescript from the one that was broadcast on August 15th. He also had one printed and issued to the armed forces because he and his supporters in the cabinet knew that uh, some Japanese uh, military, especially the army, would not want to uh, abide by the surrender. And uh, therefore, the uh, extra uh, order from Hirohito was more widely distributed and it did take effect. The additional script called on the soldiers to lay down their arms? That's correct. How complicated was the process of br actually bringing the conflict to, it, to the end and arranging the reconstruction of Japan, especially in those later days in August 1945? The uh, number of uh, Japanese military who surrendered before VJ Day uh, varies. It's between 35 and 50,000. Of course, they were spread uh, uh, across the Asia-Pacific theater. The, uh, the number of dead uh, Japanese in the home islands was something over 350,000, of course, largely from the uh, uh, Allied air campaign, but giving a, uh, uh, a broader view of the uh, uh, situation in the home islands after the formal surrender. Uh, as you note, the, uh, the Japanese population had been on limited rations at least since the spring of 1945. And in fact, there were food riots in Tokyo in uh, May, and uh, I did not have the figures at hand for uh, how much that uh, expanded uh, through uh, 
uh, August. But one of the early priorities of the uh, U.S. government was shipping enough grain to Japan to avert a famine in early 1946. So those uh, merchant ships set sail almost immediately from the West Coast. But as you note, uh, it was extremely difficult to make up the difference in uh, Japan after months and months of uh, uh, reduced rations. And uh, uh, I do not have the figures at hand as to how many deaths accrued from the uh, uh, short food shortage in uh, early 46, but it certainly would have been much, much higher if the uh, Allies had uh, been required to invade. And obviously with the close of the Second World War, it doesn't stop the bloodshed in, in East Asia and Southeast Asia, the Chinese Civil War. There's conflict in Korea, of course, conflicts in Southeast Asia. But one of the outcomes of Japan's delayed surrender was the Soviet Union got a foothold in Manchuria from where it could support the Chinese Communist Party and the North Korean communists. Is there an argument that the, the Chinese communists would have had a more difficult time in their civil war and the Korea's communists might have failed had Tokyo surrendered, say, in July 1945 rather than August 1945? My guess, and it's just a guess, is that it would not have made a great deal of, of difference. Uh, <clears throat> The uh, Soviets and the Chinese communists already knew th the shape of the post-war world that they preferred. And uh, it's possible that uh, had uh, Tokyo surrendered a month earlier, that the, uh, 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 the situation on the Asian mainland, uh, especially in China and Korea, might have been somewhat different. Uh, one assumes that a surrender in July would have negated the, uh, the Soviet, uh, what's called uh, Operation August Storm, the invasion of Manchuria. But that's not to say that uh, Stalin would have forestalled it because he still saw the same advantages in uh, July that he uh, could obtain in August. Well, I, I want to thank you again, Barrett, for coming on the show. And perhaps you can tell listeners about your book and, and maybe what you're working on at the moment. Certainly. Uh, the book is August 1945, the day the shooting stopped. The book, as you now know, having read it, is not merely a uh, an overview from Washington and Tokyo, but it involves dozens of uh, interviews I've conducted, some of them as far back as the 1970s. So it's a macro, micro view of the world as it existed in August 1945. It's published by uh, Osprey in the UK. It's available on Amazon and in uh, uh, a variety of uh, bookstores. The uh, current project is a uh, uh, tentative biography of uh, one of my dear friends, uh, General Joe Foss, who, despite what the Marine Corps says, uh, remains the, uh, the top flying leatherneck fighter ace of all time, rather than Gregory Boyington. And uh, I'm still in touch with the Foss family and looking forward to pursuing that project.
Thanks for listening to Asian Centuries. For more information, go to asiancenturiespod.substack.com and to see videos of episodes, search Asian Centuries on YouTube. You can also follow on Facebook and Twitter. And if you can, please leave a review and subscribe wherever you find this podcast. See you next time.